Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie. Lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Sports Rivals with Ernie and Monty. This is our 26th episode and so much to talk about, Ernie. I'm so excited about uh-huh. this week's show. I know there's not technically a lot going on in real sports except for the Olympics, but we had the NBA draft this week with some trades that happened, mm-hmm. huge trades. The major league trade deadline, historical in the number of all-stars that changed places this week. I think that was exciting. And of course, everything that's going on with the Tokyo Olympics So much to talk about. But again, before we get started, gang, we encourage you to go to social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Uh, Check us out there. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you uh, want us to talk about and any comments you may have. But Ernie, let's start with the NBA. Mm -hmm. We're going to take this. We're going to... Last week, we did a mock draft. Right. So we're going to kind of go over what we did from last week how we did in terms of our mock draft Uh who we thought had a great draft who may have struggled and then we'll jump into the major trades especially by my lakers but let's start with the nba draft right you know how did you do i mean any surprises from your mock draft well uh, surprises in the fact that i didn't see any upward motion from the teams who had like the golden states the new york knicks uh, the Charlotte Hornets, you know, those teams that had multiple draft picks trying to move their way up. It, it actually went the opposite way. The, the, New York, the New York Knicks actually traded down and then down and then down. So that was, that, was the, that was the biggest surprise to me. I mean, when you have a draft that is, uh, I, I guess, this, this deep, uh, I guess that's the way to go. But in my opinion, when you, when you have guys like Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and then you add Jalen Suggs to that. I, I mean, that's to me the, that's a four that in any let's say every other year out there that any one of those four could go number one. Yeah, and you know they were talking about it on the draft. I mean, uh, Jay Bylas and and the crew there that this is the strongest draft in their opinion since the two thousand three draft. And if you remember correctly, that two thousand three uh, three draft produced the likes of LeBron James. Dwayne Wade, mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony, and Chris Bosh, right. to name a few, uh, in the top five. I mean, it was an incredible draft. So if this draft comes anywhere near, near that. that draft, that bodes well for the teams picking at the top of the draft. For me, I think my, the first surprise was Jalen Suggs dropping from Toronto that, to Orlando. I, I thought that was a little surprising there. I could understand that. Um, but I think for his sake uh, and for the Orlando Magic's sake, I think that was great. I think Josh Giddy going six was a little bit of surprise as reach. well. That was a reach. Um, but he was hot late, you know, s- similar to Scotty Barnes. Mm-hmm. I think they were hot late, and then obviously he went six. A year ago, his comment was he didn't even know he was going to play in the NBA. And a year later, he's the sixth pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. He's a 6'9", big guard from Australia, showed really well in the exhibition in, in uh, Las Vegas for the Australian team. Didn't play in the Olympics because he didn't want to risk it with the draft coming up. Right. Um, but I thought that was a little bit surprising there. Um, and then a couple of players that we had. I mean, you had him a little higher than I did. Um, but Keon Johnson went 
in the 20s and right. Jalen Johnson went at around 20. Right. Uh, for me, it's not too much of a surprise. I think Keon Johnson is is very much a dunker, so an exciting player. I'm not sure his, his talent showed, um, but Jalen Johnson going to the Hawks, I believe, at 20. Um, they can risk it. I mean, I guess they feel good about where they are. You can take a risk uh, with Jalen Johnson there, and if he pans out, if his attitude is okay and he pans out, He's going to be a steal at 20 because he's a top 10 talent. Yeah, and I believe uh, in all regards, for as far as Jalen Johnson, that the Hawks got a steal on top of that. I, uh, You know what? Uh, in a shortened season with COVID coming around, you can't put too much clout in what actually happened during the season. I mean, uh, you're, you're taking what already is a small sample size when it's a one-year player, a one-and-done player, and even condensing it even smaller. Everybody has bad weeks. Yeah. This one, this is basically a bad month that yeah. he had. But I think I think what happened with uh, Jalen Johnson that really came to light there on draft night is it's not just what happened at Duke. It's that he played two years of high school at one school, transferred to a second school, stayed there for a month, transferred to a third school, stayed there for a year, transferred to a fourth school. So he played for four, or he went to four high schools before what happened at Duke. Mm -hmm. So I think the trend there is something is up with this guy. Either the parents are overburdening, and, and if it doesn't go exactly the way they want it, they're pulling their kid all around Wisconsin, down right. to Florida, back to Wisconsin. Um, but the kid has amazing talent. So for his sake, I hope his head can get screwed on straight, and I hope he's 18. You know, mm -hmm. hopefully he can mature and that talent can manifest itself. Because if it does, and the Hawks got a steal in the second round, they got Sharif Cooper from Auburn. Many expected him to go in the 17 to 25 right. range. Right. They got him in the 40s in the second round. Right. Somebody who's very similar to Trey Young. So if you get Johnson to toe the line and you get Cooper in the second round, man, the Hawks has had a great draft. Yeah, if Cooper pans out. I mean, they're, I mean when he... There were a lot of red flags on Cooper, especially from his from the height standpoint, and uh, you know his capabilities on translating from college to the NBA. So, I mean, there were a lot of teams that passed up on him. I yeah. mean, that that that. So it makes you wonder what else they may exactly, know. Exactly. They've been two point guards um, ever that has averaged twenty points and eight assists in their freshman year. Because Cooper left after his freshman year. There's only been two. Trey Young and Sharif Cooper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now they both play for the Atlanta Hawks. So he was extremely productive, not only scoring, but also dishing the ball and getting others involved. So we'll see. But I think the Hawks could potentially have a good draft if Jalen Johnson pans out. Who do you think had a great draft? I, I, I like what, I really like what the Hornets did. I mean, they were able to get, uh, you know, book night with the 11th uh, pick. I thought that was a, you know, I mean, I I anticipated him going a little bit, a little bit higher on 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 that. Yeah, and you had him going like six or something. I I think to OKC, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So yeah, dropping to eleven was great for Charlotte. Yeah. I, I I you know, and I also like uh, what the what I didn't like what the let's just start with this. I didn't like what the Thunder did, uh, you know, with the with what they had in regards to their their pick. I mean. They got Josh Giddy at number six, and then at 16, Alprane Sungun. Uh, I'm not even sure if I'm pr pronouncing that correctly, uh, but he was traded then to the Rockets for somebody else. I, I, 
I just don't see how a team that wants to be good, you know, I thought this was the year that they tank and not and now start to rebuild, not start to tank again, in my opinion, because you're bringing in Josh Giddy as the sixth pick. And especially when you see from last year's draft, you see a Killian Hayes, a, another a guy who started uh, uh, his career, uh, you know, in his early teens, played with played the professional route, uh, just like Giddy did. Uh, but not to the NBA level and how he's struggling nowadays. I mean, everybody could say, oh, what about Doncic? What about Doncic? I mean, Doncic was a, it's a different player. I mean, we're talking about point guard position over here, different uh, mm-hmm. type of uh, ball movement in, uh, and, and whatnot. You know who Josh Giddy benefited from? Because he played in the same league on the same team as one LaMelo Ball. And the comparisons were made that Giddy had a better season than LaMelo had. And LaMelo went, went on to win the Rookie of the Year. Uh-huh. So I think Giddy is benefiting from that comparison following in the line of LaMelo Ball. But you're right, there are other people. And yeah. you don't necessarily make that dramatic comparison. And Ball also played in the Ukraine you know, from when he was 16 years old. So he's had some other experience and he's been used to, to the spotlight, obviously, in right. the Ball family. Um, so that's so that's something uh, to consider as well. So yeah, OKC, you know, you're not really caring for what they did. No, nah, not 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 at all. But I, I like I like Book Knight. I don't like I don't like what the Magic did with Franz Wagner. I just have bad memories of his brother Mo. I mean, not there that they're the same person. I'm, I I think Franz is a better player, more all around, as, at least a better defender than Mo than his older brother. But now they're going to be both playing on the same team. on the same team. So yeah. we'll see who. Who's the best brother? Or who's the best brother? Uh, but on the flip side, they were able to get Jalen Suggs, and I thought that was an absolute steal. I do not know what the Raptors did. I mean, Scotty Barnes at the end could end up being very, very good. Like I said on last week's show, I mean, he has he has the height, the you know, the measurables to be you know a Ben Simmons, Magic Johnson type. I mean, all those. All those things that you cannot coach up. I mean, he has the physical attributes to be a great player. But Jalen Suggs was, I mean, like yeah. I said, Jalen Suggs is somebody that in, in some drafts, you, he would go number one. Yeah, he just seemed to be a perfect fit there. You know what? The first thing that came to mind when they took Scotty Barnes is that there's more to this. There has to be a another chip that's going to fall, whether it be... Trading Piao, uh, you know, Siakam to somebody else. Which, which is in the rumors. Uh, I know yeah. OJ Anaubi is somebody that the Sixers want in any trade with Ben Simmons. So there must be something else in play here for them to take Scotty Barnes and not take the obvious replacement for Kyle Lowry in Jalen Suggs. So, yeah, I, you know, I am a Michigan fan. So Franz mm-hmm. Wagner, I understand. I was a little surprised that... He eight, went that, that yeah, yeah, he went eight. I thought he would have gone a little bit lower. Um, but you're right, the Wagners are on the same team now. But I think Jalen Suggs is going to go in there. You combine him with Cole Anthony from last year. You know, maybe Fultz can put it together. You have RJ Hampton from last year. A very young guard team. Uh, extremely young team. So they're going to have to develop together. But one thing that he is, is a leader. Mm-hmm. And that team has no leader. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can start to rein them in. I love Golden State's draft. Last week we were talking that we didn't think they draft. 
that they were going to be trading their yeah. picks out. Mm -hmm. And maybe that still happens to some extent, but I thought they got value at both picks. I think Kuminga dropping to them at seven, I didn't expect him to be there. I thought he would go five or six. Right. Um, he was there at seven. And then Moody, who we both thought would go maybe top 10, yes. um, drops to them at 14. 14. Yeah. So they get two value picks at seven and 14. And I think it sets up perfect for their roster because you have Curry and you have Clay. They love Jordan Poole, who really blossomed last year, but Poole is more of a backup for, for Curry. Moody's game is more similar to Clay. Right. Bigger guard, can't shoot like Clay, but a great defender, long arms, can really, really defend. And now Kuminga, who may have the best talent in the draft, that there's some character issues that may have penalized him a little bit. But now he goes to a team that doesn't need him to be a star right away. He can develop slowly, and right. there's so many strong leaders there. You have Draymond that'll be in his face, Steph, Clay, that'll help nurture him and to help him mature and he can develop slowly he could end up being one of the best players in the draft he, he, he just when they need to so i love what golden state did much to the chagrin of my lakers yeah i i i agree totally with you moody is a now player in my opinion i mean he's more to me he'll have the better rookie season uh over kaminga but kaminga watch out for him two or three years from now I mean, like you said, if he has his head on straight, willing to become to sacrifice to become a better player, and I believe he will be because he was he's he he's a player who left his family, mm -hmm. you know, he left his family. He was the only one to come down to the United States. I I heard during the draft that this was the first time he saw his parents in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, so the sacrifices that he had to put up with to put himself in this type of vision, he better have his head on straight. He mm -hmm. cannot blow it. Yeah, and again, for him, I think he's going into a perfect situation. If he goes to, say he goes to Orlando at five with all young players, or he goes to OKC at six, a similar situation with no structured leadership right. for him, that may be a problem. But now he's going to Golden State with Hall of Famers all over the place. I think it's perfect for him. Yeah. He doesn't have the pressure. He can develop, and he's going to have to be accountable for his actions, which he probably needs as a young 18, 19-year-old. So I love what he did. I also like what Charlotte did. Like you said, they got book night at 11, which I think was a steal. And what you didn't mention is they also traded back at number 19 and got Kai Jones. Mm -hmm. So they got, I had Kai Jones going nine. Charlotte gets them at 19. So they have book night, um, you know, in case Malik Monk leaves, another guard that can, that can score. And then they get the big man that they lacked in Kai Jones. So yeah. I think Charlotte really did do a good job. And Houston, I think, loaded up on talent. Jalen Green... We talked about this last week. Mm -hmm. Could have end up being the most uh, spectacular player in this draft. He may. Um, but I also like the two foreign players that they got at, at in their next two picks. Well, with the uh, defensive mind. Yeah. The, the guy from Turkey who's a big body. Uh, and then the guy from Spain who's a dominant defensive player. So I think those are good pieces with NBA bodies already. Uh, so you have Jalen Green. And then you have these two guys. I think... Houston is back on track, although it's going to take a while to rebuild what they did. Yeah, I mean, they have, they, if anything, they have assets now. So if they wanted to go to get somebody uh, really big, I mean, they have the assets. I mean, you know, Jalen Green, they, they have Buddy Young, Young Centers. They have good trade pieces, if anything at all, to at least make a move. Where they can become relevant in the next year or so. So good job with for the for the Rockets organization there. 
And then a little surprised that uh, Zaire Williams went 10. Me too. I thought that was a little bit early for him, yes. but Memphis must like what they see there. I also thought that Josh Primo to the to the Spurs at 12 was a little earlier than I expected. Mm -hmm. I think Chris Duarte went where he was supposed to be. And I love Corey Kis Kispert going to the Wizards. Reunited with a former Zag, Rui Hachimura. <laughs> but we're going to talk about this later. But when you factor in the trade that they made with the Lakers, that's a lot of wings that they now have. You yeah. know, bringing in Kuzma, bringing in KCP yeah. Yeah. with Rui and Kispert and Beal. That's a lot of repetition there. So I'm wondering if the Wizards have further plans that they're going to interject here as well. And then Davion Mitchell, number nine to Sacramento. I was a little surprised that he went there. Not because I don't love him, but... They already have uh, DeAndre Fox, and they have last week's last year's third in the Rookie of the Year, Tyrese Halliburton, mm -hmm. who play the same position. So, seems like a little bit of overload there. But I love the kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is a worker, a defensive stopper. Um, he's going to bring that dog mentality that Sacramento's been lacking for a while. Yeah, I believe maybe possibly the thought process on top of that is becomes he he is a role player, you know, in his rookie year. And then based upon contracts, we I mean I know D uh, De'Aaron Fox just uh, signed a huge contract uh, like a year or two two ago. So, uh, but uh, we don't know about you know the rest of the team and how that works out. So maybe that's a play for them. But uh, immediate talent, in my opinion, he like like uh, the word was going out through the through the draft uh, process that he is the most NBA ready in. I, I believe that. I mean, the guy is a defensive hound. So. Yeah, and I, I just love his work ethic. I mean, he talked about it on the draft night about how he watches film and how he studies people. Work ethic translates no matter what occupation that you're in. And if you combine work ethic with talent, then you have a star in the making. I really think he could be end up being a superstar. But I think the biggest star in the draft, Ernie, I think he went late. He went in the second round. Juhan Bigarin. Guadalupe. <laughs> To your Boston Celtics, <laughs> the guy, the guy. You know what? When when they picked up, when they when they announced his name, I was like, who, who? But when I when I saw the measurables measurables on top of this guy, this guy, this guy has tremendous upside. Six five guard uh, from uh, the Caribbean islands. Uh, well, from France via the Caribbean islands. 6'5 with a 7-foot wingspan. The guy is chiseled for an 18-year-old, you know, so he's very young. I mean, a, a lot of the highlights that I've seen on top of this guy, the guy goes strong to the rim, very, very athletic. So I, I like the pick at, at, at where they pick 45. You, you go for potential. Yeah. You go oh. for potential. This guy has <laughs> tremendous potential. So, you know what, as a Boston Celtic fan... I, I like the pick. I like the pick. Well, the Lakers didn't have any picks, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. So for me, it was all about rushing to see what would happen in the free agent market and the two-way contracts that they were able to sign after. So as I'm watching the draft, as a Michigan fan and a Gonzaga fan, right. I was waiting for Joel Ayayi to be drafted. And according to ESPN, he, he was supposed to go 36 or 37. Yeah. Somebody supposedly had promised him a first round, which is why he didn't even participate in the combine. He doesn't get drafted. Right. And the Lakers pounce on him, signing him to a two-way contract. And then another guy that I love from Michigan is Shondi Brown, a 3 and D player. Totally reminds me of a P.J. Tucker 
Jay Crowder type. Someone willing to do all of the dirty work mm -hmm. and can shoot and is a leader. And he signed with the Lakers as well. So I'm not saying they're going to be superstars, but considering we didn't have any picks, those two plus Austin Reeves, the, the point guard from, from I like, Oklahoma, I like that, that averaged over 20 points a game, uh, I can't complain with the, what the Lakers got in the two-way contract or the summer league program after. So I'm excited about that. But let's dive back in to what was the biggest trade uh, of the week. My Lakers trading, Kyle Kuzma... KCP, Montrose Harrell, <laughs> and our number one pick to the Wizards for Russell Westbrook. So my initial thought was, does this really make the Lakers better? And honestly, I really don't know. I mean, I don't think it makes them worse per se, right. but I don't think this makes them appreciably better. And here's why. One of the things that Russell Westbrook does bring that I think is very important to LeBron and a very good influence on AD is he plays psychotically hard all the time. Mm -hmm. He never takes a game off. So from that perspective, he's going to put in the work. I also like the fact that he's a dominant rebounder from the point guard spot. Right. We don't rebound well. You know, with, you know, Dwight Howard leaving, there's not a lot of rebounders there. So I think Westbrook can ease that burden on LeBron. He can handle the ball. He can take control of the ball. He will rebound and he will distribute. One thing that plagued the Lakers last year is we couldn't shoot. One thing we know about Westbrook can't is shoot. he can't shoot. <laughs> so it doesn't make us better. So earlier in the day, I got started to get excited because it looked like we were really close to obtaining Buddy Heald from Sacramento for Montrezl Harrell and Kyle Kuzma. Right. And I was like, okay, he can't play defense, but at least he's a shooter. And he fits with what the Lakers may need. And then I close my eyes and open it again, and we have Russell Westbrook instead. So <laughs> I'm, I am leery of whether or not this makes the Lakers appreciably better or not. I, like I said, I don't think it makes us worse. We do have a true big three, and we know Westbrook has never won a title. He's going to be absolutely motivated. But the bottom line is the Lakers will go as far as AD will take him. And if AD is not in shape or any of these three guys are injured like they were this year, they're not going to win anyway. Right. So they've gotten older because Westbrook's 33, LeBron's 37, and AD is 29 with a body of a 37-year-old. Right. Um, and now we have to piece together the rest of the team. You know, can we keep Caruso? Can we keep THT? I hear Carmelo Anthony may come. He's geriatric. Right. I hear Rudy Gay may come. I think he played, <laughs> you know, he's like your classmate, Ernie. I mean, these guys are so old that that's what I get afraid of when, when there's LeBron teams. You start to go all in for one year and you get so old. In today's day, I don't think you hold up at the end of the year. So I'm curious to see how this works out. If that's the best to do with the, with the assets that they have, so yeah, I was hoping more for Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan situation. That's obviously not going to happen. And the only asset that they have now that could save them in some extent is if they can turn Dennis Schroeder into a sign-and-trade for somebody who can shoot. Because mm -hmm. if we don't bring in shooters, we're going to be in trouble. Right, right. I don't see it. And I, like you said, I, with, uh, I believe I, I, if I saw correctly that Westbrook's outside of the arc percentage is like 30, 31% at the best. Yeah. You know, that, and that's not acceptable if you want to stretch, if you want to give room for AD and LeBron to operate inside the paint. I mean, that, and, and you're giving up your shooters. You're giving up, uh, you know, Caldwell Pope. And I mean, I mean, 
And Caldwell Pope shocks me because he is a he's the same agent as LeBron and AD. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think they would get rid of him. So they must have coerced him somehow uh, to go to the Wizards in this particular situation. But you're right. But Boston made a couple of trades. So why don't you highlight what Boston did, did and then you know what your thoughts are on the couple of trades that they well one trade that had multiple aspects. To yeah, it. I mean not nothing as earth shattering as a Russell Westbrook trade, but uh, you know Boston was able to. Uh, pick their their first tri initial trade was to unload Tristan Thompson, you know the experiment that uh, came over last year from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, they're picking up uh, Chris Dunn, the fifth overall draft pick from two thousand seventeen, same draft class as uh, Jalen Brown. In fact, I remember the the clamorings back then, four year four or five years ago, when they said pick Chris Dunn over Jalen Brown and you know I'm, I'm, that's one thing that I'm glad that Danny Ainge did correctly you yeah. know he, he got Jalen well, Brown had a good rookie year got a couple of injuries and has been a shadow of himself yeah, since I maybe mean, Boston sees something there yeah well from my standpoint from what I've been reading is that he is just going to be a trade piece in a, in, in a future transaction later on I mean he came up he, they packaged him with, and I can't even remember his 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 name, but a, a, a third string center from the Atlanta Hawks, uh, that I also think is not going to hang around well uh, very long because Boston already has five centers on their roster. Someone's going to give, and at the very best, he's going to be at the very best, he's going to be the third or fourth man off the bench. So nothing very significant on top of that. On the flip side, they get Josh Richardson. Now, when this first came out, I said, what a steal, what a steal, Josh Richardson. You know, I, they, everybody was clamoring about how, how they got him, and it was like a Dallas salary dump. And then later on today, we, I found, we find out that, uh, you know, uh, Boston actually included uh, Mo Brown on top of that deal. And Mo Brown is uh, a promising center prospect that... Uh, came across from OKC on the Kemba Walker tree that happened about three or four weeks ago. And that's what kind of like, ah, okay, should they have given up Mo Brown for... Yeah, because you were excited about it. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, the guy, when they played OKC, the guy had a 20-rebound game. Mm -hmm. I mean, he only averaged eight points with OKC. Uh, but then again, when you think about it, OKC didn't really have anybody. They already put Horford on the bench. Now, Horford is with the Boston Celtics. I believe that Danny Ainge is actually playing chess over here. And what I mean by that is I think he's making moves to make moves to make moves and so on and so on and so on. And a lot of, a lot of the clamor right now in the Boston area is that, oh, what a bad trade, what a bad trade. But there, you know, from a, from a one trade standpoint, it doesn't make sense. I trust in Danny. Danny kind of lost the motivation spark uh with uh you know his players in the last couple of seasons so that kind of limited him limited him as a coach but the guy is an incredible basketball mind you know i believe in him as you know president of basketball operation and currently right now gm general manager although i i i think they're going to pick up somebody to to fill that spot i believe in in what he can do from from the mental aspect of basketball the guy, the guy is just the guy is just smart. Yeah. So I believe in what he's trying to do. And I'm going to wait and see on how next week, Tuesday, when the free agent market opens up and see how uh, they can uh, manipulate the pieces that they got to make something even better. 
So I, yeah, I, so that's the that's the next shoe will drop on Tuesday yeah. when free agency starts, and I think that's when there's more clarity that'll come into play here. I still don't like the way the NBA draft is where all these trades are happening and you don't even know because they announce it like on social media, but you don't announce it at the draft. I still don't understand for the life of me why they have to do it this way, why they can't make the, you know, the, the NBA year end before the draft mm-hmm. so you can make the trades. Because I think that adds to the excitement of the draft mm-hmm. by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but Tuesday is going to be when the NBA starts. This week or in Major League Baseball, the trade deadline, deadline. was absolutely <laughs> nuts. I mean, I'm going to start with my Dodgers, but it's not just the Dodgers. No. But I'm going to start with my Dodgers because late in the week, they have been... It's remarkable to me that they have the, they still have the second most wins in the Major League Baseball. Right. And they've had Corey Seager out for most of the year, Bellinger out for most of the year, and when he's played, he's been horrible. Mookie's been hurt. He's out. Kershaw's been out for the last month. Bauer is a psycho and is probably never going to pitch for the Dodgers again. <laughs> He's been out for a month. Their bullpen has been a mess. And they still have the second most wins. And they went all in trading our top two prospects and two other prospects for Max Serger. Mm-hmm. And Trey Turner. Now, Trey Turner right now is on the COVID list, so he's going to be out for another week or so before he can come in there. But that gives the Dodgers a lot of flexibility. He's a shortstop. All-star. He can play the outfield. Yeah. He's an all-star. He has 18 home runs. He has 21 stolen bases. So now you have two guys at the top of the lineup, if Mookie gets healthy, that can create offense with their legs, something that the Dodgers historically don't do. They live by the three-run home run, mm-hmm. and they're not able to really manufacture stuff. Now they're going to be able to do that. And Mad Dog Max Serger, if he's healthy, he goes right to the top of the rotation. And now you go into the playoffs with Scherzer, Bueller, who's 11-1 and one and dominating, and Kershaw as your three, maybe four, because you also have Julio Urias there with 13 wins. That could be... Uh, in that rotation as well. So I think the Dodgers did really, really well. But they're not the only ones. I think the surprises are Washington started to trade everybody, but Ernie, the Chicago Cubs they literally they traded sold, they sold off everybody. <laughs> Anthony Rizzo is now a Yankee. Javier Baez is now a Met. Chris Bryant is now a Giant. Um Craig Kimbrell is now a White Sox. I mean, they really got rid of all of their best players and are going to be starting from scratch, which is um, a little surprising because they're still they were still in second place. Yeah. But they thought it was time to, with these guys becoming free agents soon, to dump them and get some assets to right. build from. Right. I think that's uh, the classic case of you know what if they don't feel that their team is championship ready for this particular year. You know, especially with uh, what, especially with what the Yankees are doing and and your Dodgers are doing, you know, let's get something. Let's get top value for them now instead of trying to see if, if we're just gonna lose them for nothing. Yeah. So the Yankees trade like a total of ten prospects to get Joey Gallo from Texas, a left-handed bomber who will play in the outfield and upgrade their defense, and then Rizzo to play first base, another bomber from the left side. So they're yeah. right-handed heavy with. Judge and Stanton oh. and Torres. So now they've got lefties to balance can them you, out. Can you imagine that lineup? I mean, you're talking about bomber after bomber after bomber. Oh my god. But you goodness. know what? I think the Yankees needed to do something because it just hasn't worked yet this year. They're still in fourth place in their division, which right. is shocking. They're behind the Red Sox, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. 
who did some some work as well, bringing in Jose Barrios uh, into their starting rotation. Um, it's chemistry. It's got to be the chemistry part, and that comes down to management. Yeah, it's it. Something seems to be off, but they loaded up on offense, so we'll see. I mean, they may score two touchdowns a game, but if they give up a field goal and lose seventeen fourteen, you know that's that's uh, that's they're still going to be struggling. But I think it was. The most fascinating trade deadline I can remember, I think it was 12 All-Stars that were traded this week. 12 All-Stars. Um, and the Dodgers became the first team in history to get two All-Stars in one trade. <laughs> they were All-Stars just two weeks ago, and they get them in one trade. So I'm excited about my Dodgers. I think it was the right decision to trade our top two picks, uh, our top two prospects. One is a catcher who's been sitting in the minor leagues now for two years. He deserves an opportunity to play in the majors. But we already have Will Smith, one of the best young catchers in Major League Baseball. So this guy is rotting there. You might as well leverage him into another asset. And, and Scherzer is a free agent, but I'm guessing that they wouldn't have made this trade unless they planned on keeping him. And I guess he'll slot right into Bauer's $40 million a year contract that the Dodgers are responsible for for the next two years after this one. I don't think he ever pitches for the Dodgers again. And I think Scherzer takes his salary slot next year, so it doesn't really cost the Dodgers a lot. What I think this trade does is it puts two people on notice. Corey Seager, mm -hmm. who's been hurt a lot and plays the same position as Trey Turner. And he is a free agent at the end of this year. And Cody Bellinger. Bellinger, who was the MVP two years ago, really won the MVP two years ago with an awesome April and May. From June 2019 till now, he's a 220 hitter. So something is wrong with him. So I think when it comes time to his free agency, the Dodgers are going to move him or let him go, and Trey Turner is going to be their center fielder going forward. Well, you have a lot to look forward to. I'm just looking at the at a Vegas site, betting site right now. Dodgers have vaulted into first place. They have three to one odds to win the World Series based upon the you know, those, these recent transactions. So. Well, on paper, if you look at their roster, it looks like an all-star team. But again, they've been so banged up this year, so injured. And so many of them are still injured that what paper doesn't matter. Right. Just at like, the end of the year, if they are healthy, healthy and you have a lineup that looks like Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Will Smith, and a rotation of Scherzer, Bueller, Kershaw, and Urias, I think the Dodgers have a great chance yes. to win the World Series again. Yeah, but, but that's a big if. Because that, that they've is. all been injured. That and is, so that's a big if. Yeah, and we, we've learned that from the NBA world with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, and if they were healthy... And everybody else. Yeah. It, was a, it was survival of the fittest. Exactly. And if that's going to be the case in Major League Baseball, then my Dodgers could be in, in trouble. But... I'm super excited about what they did. Yeah, it would have been really interesting if Scherzer actually went to the Padres because the Padres were actually... Uh, yeah, he was supposed to, supposed go, to go down well, that way. Interesting if he went to the Padres if you're not a Dodger fan. That was going to make me very <laughs> nauseous. I woke up hearing that he was going to the Padres. I went to... You know, I went to work, came out, and he's a Dodger. And I thought, oh, that was so much better. Because <laughs> the Padres did add to their team as well. The Giants got Chris Bryant. That division still has three playoff caliber teams that are going to duel each other out. But uh, it's going to be an exciting next two months to the season. We'll see how things shape up. But at least my Dodgers did what was necessary to give themselves a chance. But the big news Ernie, this week has been the Tokyo Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, so far, as of right now, the United States leads with 52 medals. China has 47. 
and the ROC, since Russia can be Russia because of their uh, drug doping scandal, they're called Russian Olympic Committee, they have 38. Uh, Japan actually has 17 gold medals, which is third, 22 for China and 19 for the U.S. But I think the U.S. always dominates week one in terms of swimming, but this week, I watched a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know you didn't watch quite as much of the Olympics as I did, mm -hmm. but I think in the Olympics, uh, it was a little bit surprising the Australian women dominated. Katie Ledecky won two golds and two silvers. I think she started off the week slow, finishing in a silver medal in the 400 uh, to the Australian, and then not even placing in the 200, which is a shock. And then she came back and won gold in the 1500, won gold in the 800, finished strong in a, in a relay um, for the women as well. So she ends up with, with four medals, two silvers and two golds. And then Caleb Dressel from the men's side, Five gold medals. He set a world record in the 100-meter fly. He won gold in the Olympic record in the 100 free, uh, Olympic record in the 50 free, um, and then he won two relays. That was super exciting. So Caleb Dressel with five golds. But overall, I think beyond those two stars, I think it was a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. I mean, on the women's side, most of the women that you would used to to winning, I think Australia just dominated there. On the men's side, we did a little bit better, but Ryan Murphy expected to win in the 100 and 200 backstroke, did not win either. Um, and then Great Britain had a very, very good showing on the men's side as well, led by their breaststroker, Petey, who is just remarkable. He's a top 16 times in the breaststroke in history, and he single-handedly almost won the medley race by himself uh, for Great Britain. So that's that's from that perspective then basketball of course is something i'm passionate about the u.s started slowly mm -hmm. um but came on strong with a romp of iran and another romp today of czechoslovakia right 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 and I, I, like i said when from the beginning when, when they first entered this tournament when actually when they first went to vegas and had those preseason games i mean it was something that it was more of a wake-up call and then you pop knew that it was chemistry issues okay how do we play as a team how how do you get how do you get uh, 12 players or 15 players uh, on the same page, you know, where they have to play certain roles now instead of them all being alphas. So it, it, it takes time. It does. It does take time. And I think, of course, it was a struggle because three of your players were playing in the finals. And I think the U.S. really benefited from the fact, well, they caught a bad break in playing France first. Right. I mean, you had the three guys that were in the finals that arrived at 1 o'clock in the morning uh, in the hotel and then had to play that same day. So they were practically useless, although Holiday did do well. But I think what really helped the U.S. team is the games have been so spread out that they've only played two games since then. Mm -hmm. And they had a full week of practice to get acclimated. And I think against Iran, you saw a different team. And they got back to doing what I personally think the U.S. needs to do is take advantage of what we have more than anyone else, which is athleticism. Mm -hmm. Full court press, aggressive defense, speed up the game. And I think they did that 120 points against Iran, 119 points against the Czech Republic today, mm -hmm. speeding up the game, playing much more tight defense, full court defense. That's what the dream team of old did. If we sit back and play a half court game, we're playing into all of these teams' strengths because they're used to the playing. They have the chemistry that we don't have. They're used to, to playing with each other. Um, we need to speed everybody up, and they did that the last two games, and they look very, very impressive going into the medal round. Right, and it all depends on matchup. I mean, if their point guard is the type two who can break the press, I mean, that'll pose a little bit more difficulty. I don't think 
Iran and the Czechoslovakians have those types of players. I believe the Czechoslovakians only had like one or two NBA players and not even all-star caliber players. Iran, I don't think they had any. Uh, so I think the Iran game for a grain of salt, a little bit of the Czechoslovakian. Let's see. I know it hasn't been determined yet. Uh, probably it will be by the time this uh, podcast uh, airs on who the United States will be in their first knockout round match. Be very interesting to see how much they've developed. I don't think these these last two matchups, although it was good for at least the mental aspect of getting wins under the U.S.'s belt, uh, if they've actually found the formula to win gold here at the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, what I think was, was really encouraging is that in game two against Iran, I think Lillard was aggressive and he went off. I mm-hmm. mean, he had seven three-pointers. He led them in scoring that game. Uh, then today you had... Durant playing really, really well, shooting 8 for 11, 23 points through the first three quarters. And your man, Jason Tatum from the Boston Celtics, right. finally went off. Now, granted, he got really, really hot in the fourth quarter, but he had a good, strong game, ended up with 27 points. And the U.S. is going to need that. You know, they're going to need at least two people to have great games right. um, in order to really open up the court. You know, so I think they, they're playing really well. I'm very encouraged now that everybody's there and they're playing a little bit better, they're speeding up the games, they're using their athleticism, they're playing much better defense, uh, I'm encouraged that they're probably looking like a strong bet to, to win gold. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully so. Anything can happen, though. You know, anything can happen. I'm, I'm, I'm worried to see if they're going to be matching up with, uh, with the Slovakian team led by Luka <laughs> on how that actually looks. You know, uh, Spain is, although older, they're, they are still formidable. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot to be seen. A lot to be seen. Going to be very interesting uh, watch on that, uh, you know, gold medal try for the U.S. Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit encouraged, though, with the whole Slovenia thing. Because I actually think, depending on how the matchups line up, that seems to be the likely role to the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're in opposite brackets... And I think what's encouraging for the U.S. team is Drew Holiday will give Doncic fits. Mm. I mean, he is the defensive stopper that can make it hard on Doncic. You're not going to stop him, but he has really nobody else. Right. You know, so if he can, if Holiday can make it hard on him, it's going to be hard for Slovenia to outscore, you know, the powerful Mm. Uh, force of the U.S. basketball team. So I think Holiday is going to play a big, big, big role there. And I don't really see anyone else uh, being able to match the U.S. I think Spain is old. I think Spain gets upset early. Mm-hmm. I think France benefited from the you know playing the U.S. team before they were ready to be played. Right. Um, I think Slovenia looks to be the hardest person. And I think Australia always plays well. And for some reason, in the Olympics... Patty Mills looked like first-team All-NBA in the Olympics. I'm not sure what it is, but he looks like first-team All-NBA in the Olympics. And they play really, really well together, and they've played well so far. Um, So we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens there. Anything else that you've noticed in the Olympics so far? Just just the disappointments. I mean, the USA women's softball team, I know they fell in their gold medal match to, I believe it was, was it Japan? Japan. Yeah, and After going 5-0 and oh, and then they lose the... the right, yeah, and I believe they played them the day before and they mm-hmm. beat them. You know, they lost a women's volleyball. They lost yesterday, but they won the first three. So they're 3-1, and one, you know, in pool play. The men have lost two in a row. They right. got blown by Russia and by Brazil. They started off playing really well against France in the last two matches. 
62 service errors. They're literally giving, giving the, the games, points. The, the matches away, which is a little bit disappointing. But both the win, women and the men look to be in favorable contention to at least make the medal round. The men are going to have to play Argentina tomorrow. The winner will advance, the loser will go home. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to this, the track and field. I know the preliminaries have already started. Uh, you know, for, for, for that to... That that always gets me riled, you know, my my my, uh, my eyes open when the track and field actually starts getting into the you know the medal races. Yeah. Well, today, I mean, right before we aired, the women's one hundred meter dash went off, and you had the Jamaica sweep. They took gold, silver, and bronze with an Olympic record of 10-6. Beat Florence Griffith Joyner's 33-year-old record. Wow. The Jamaican girl repeated as a gold medalist from 2016. Did it again in 2021. So Jamaica goes gold, silver, bronze in the 100-meter dash. The men are tomorrow. And we don't have... It doesn't really look like the men has the favorite there. So I think this overall, I think this is a weaker... U.S. Track, track team, team. than we're used to too. Um, gone are the days where we just dominate. Right now in the sprints, it's Jamaica that dominates and some of the other things I think there's cross. But what about the first gold medal in 97 years for the Philippines with oh. that girl <laughs> who won in powerlifting? 97 years. Heidi Lee. <laughs> yeah, I see her. I see her all over YouTube. Great. You know, if you watch the video, I mean, I watched it on YouTube. And, you know, I am, I, I am, um, my origin is from the Philippines. So, and, and, and in watching that video and how appreciative she was, it, it really touched my heart. I mean, I, I, I felt as much, as proud uh, when you get an underdog upset from the U.S. winning gold as she did when she won gold. You could just see, see all the years of hard work. And how much she appreciated, you know, having that opportunity to win gold, not only just for her, but for her entire country. Like you said, years and years, and she will be a goddess. When she already she is. is. <laughs> Apparently, she's had, like, houses and all kinds of things offered to her. She will. She is absolutely set for life. She is. And you know what? Good for her. Yeah. I mean, good for her. I mean, to bring that much pride uh, and good for the sport. Because to bring that much awareness to weightlifting, I think, is, is great for the sport. Yeah, you can, uh, So really, really happy for her. Me too. And then I think the dominant story, and we'll talk a little bit about this, and then we'll transition, because I believe this is what you want to cover in your closing thought today, is the U.S. women's gymnastics team. Right. Overwhelming favorites coming in, led by the GOAT in Simone Biles. Uh, health issues with her that you'll elaborate on a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. She has to drop out. The rest of the crew you know, does their absolute best, still salvages the silver, and then Suni Lee comes back in the individual and keeps gold in the U.S. Uh, by winning gold in the all-around for the United States. Uh, as we go into the individuals, Simone Biles has dropped out of the first three um, so far, so we'll see how they do there. But I think the U.S. women's gymnastics team was one of the headliners going into this Olympics. It was. And that has caused a little bit of a stir and a, little, a lot of discussion. So let's transition into where you want to go with your closing thought. Yeah, in regards to that, I mean, it, and this is a very, I mean, it, I mean it's, 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 you can go on both sides. I mean, it, this is not just about Simone Biles and the reasons why, uh, and her justification being why she, she you know, 
basically did not participate in specific events and uh, is maybe not even going to be participating in the remaining events left in, in this year's Olympics. But it has to do with her. It has, it has to do with uh, Naomi Osaka. It has to do with Kyrie Irving. It has to do with a lot of these athletes right now taking a back seat, not participating in sports based upon mental illness. And I believe, uh, you know, it's going to continue. Th th we're in a, uh, an age where social media, I remember, well, let's, let, let me take a step back. When I was watching sports as a youth, okay, all the major sports were not on cable. They were on ABC, CBS, NBC, those, the, the three major networks, and that's where you saw it. And then if it was tape delayed, it was tape delayed. We did not know, in, unless you were like one of the reporters and actually got a newspaper, because we didn't have the internet back then, tape delayed was fine because you didn't get, you know, you weren't spoiled with the outcome. Now, <laughs> as soon as an event is over, whether or not you're in that country or not, you, you can get it via social media on many platforms, multiple platforms. It is seen by many people, whether you're a sports fan or not, just based upon... Uh, like I said, those other platforms like TikTok, uh, there's YouTube, there's other other media as, uh, platforms out there that just show these types of things, which adds more pressure to these athletes. Now, Simone Biles dropped out based upon what she calls, and I've never heard of this before, twisties, yeah. you know, where she just loses track of where she at where she is and just doesn't trust doesn't know doesn't know in the air. exactly which uh i really never heard of that before. it's kind of like the baseball equivalent of when you know like steve Sachs for my dodgers all of a sudden he can't throw the ball from second base to first place or pitchers who can't throw the ball over the plate anymore it gets into their head mm -hmm. and they just can't do it like in in their case they're just throwing the ball all over the place in her case if she's not trusting herself and you're doing these flips, if you land on your head, you can be paralyzed. Right. You, you know, there can be serious injuries. So I get it in her in her situation. Right, right, right. And it's not about her, the justification of why she's not participating. It's the frequency on all the, not just these athletes. It seems to be, it's becoming too, uh, apparent that, at least in the forefront, that these are the star athletes. You know, you're talking about number one in the world, Simone Biles. You're talking about number one in tennis, you know, Osaka. You're talking about one of the best point guards, at least the best handles as far as a point guard is concerned in the NBA history in Kyrie Irving. I mean, and Kyrie Irving might be a totally different thing, but it all comes down to mental health. Yeah. And I believe it has to do with the pressures that are bringing up, brought upon them based upon the following, we the public, who, who, who watch and actually preconceive the expectations from these athletes, you yeah, know? I, I mean, I agree. And I think, I mean, if we had, we could do a whole show on this topic because I think it's that interesting and I think it's that uh, relevant. And, and there's so many aspects that you can take a look at this. One, I believe it's generational. And I believe, you know, most people in this particular case supported Simone. Most people supported Osaka. And I think Michael Phelps dealt with the same types of pressure. 
And although he powered through in the Olympics, he checked himself into mental health institutes mm -hmm. and he had depression that he fought. He had all of these things because of the burden and the expectations that he had. Um, but I do think there are people in the older generations that are like, there's always been pressure, you know, and, and I think there are, there is a public perception of the older generations that maybe some of the athletes right now are more coddled, you know, or, or they're not, um, they're used to, to getting their own, their way, or they're from the generation of everybody gets a trophy, participation trophies. Right. Those types of things. So I do think that might be a small part of it, but I am a big advocate of the negative impact that social media can have. And I think in the social media society that we live in today, so many of our people, adults, but especially teenagers, and most of these Olympians are in their teenage to 25 years old. Right. And, and this development process have gone through their adolescent years um, and so many of them at this age get a lot of their self-worth from what they see and feel from social media. Exactly. So it's what people are saying about them. How many likes do I get? Exactly. I'm going to put something out there. Is people liking me? What are they telling me? What are they saying about me on social media? And so much of their self-worth comes from other people's perceptions. And you start to have your own confidence wanes because you're paying so much attention to what is being said about you in the public. Now, you compound that for superstars like a Phelps, like a Simone Biles, who not only has that to deal with, Simone Biles dealt with so much over the last 10 years with the, the sexual assaulting of, of the gymnast that she had to deal mm -hmm. with. Uh, and so, so many things that, that she has dealt with uh, on her own. But besides that, who was the whole face of NBC's Olympics? Simone. It was Simone Biles. So she has all of that burden. And if you watch the Olympics, you see how many of these athletes already have commercials. Katie Ledecky has commercials. Mm -hmm. Caleb Dressel has commercials. Simone Biles has a ton of commercials that she filmed ahead of this. So now you have the expectation. You're not even, you're training. You have the, the burden of the country expecting you to dominate. You have all your corporate sponsors that's demanding of your time, and you are already a star before the Olympics even starts. And that never happened before. After the Olympics, Mary Lou Retton, Carl Lewis, those types of people as we were growing up, Florence Griffith Joyner, you dominated in the Olympics, then, then you became you a star. Right. Now you're a star because it's all about marketing and and. I don't want to say it's exploited because they're getting paid handsomely for what they're doing in terms of a marketing thing, but you do have that extra burden. Yeah. Now you are the face of not only the gymnastics team in Simone's case, but the U.S. team, but the whole Olympics. Um, you're the face. And, and that is a tremendous, tremendous this burden. burden. It is. It is. Everything is immediate. Everything is now. Everything is on demand. And that's what it is. So when... Uh, if I'm not saying that this generation is 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 weaker. Uh, I mean, I, I I look at, for instance, I look at the the Netherlands versus the U.S. women's soccer team that went into PKs. We were both we're both soccer coaches. We've been through PK matches before. That is, you talk about pressure, being on that first five to kick. Yeah, that. Pressure. That is pressure. I, I, I can't find that many other instances. 
you know, other than maybe a Hail Mary to win the Super Bowl or something like that. And that's only happening once. In soccer, this is five times. This is that that is pressure. Yeah. That is pressure. Yeah. I, I, but sports, there's always going to be pressure in sports. Yeah. And I think this Olympics, it's compounded by the fact that it was delayed by a year. So you train to hit your 2020 Olympics. Right. Now that gets taken away. Now you mentally have to prepare for another year. In many cases, like, like Ryan Murphy, the backstroker from the U.S. men's team, explained, now our quarantine got extended for a year. So we're isolated from each other, training on our own for a year. And that becomes a challenge. And I think you could see that. When the Olympics started, it seemed like Simone was the most um, obvious one because she actually had to pull out. But you could see it on the faces of the American swimmers. Katie Ledecky was not swimming with confidence to yes. start. Yeah. And she lost twice. Yeah. Ryan Murphy didn't have. Caleb Dressel, when he won his first, broke down in tears. You could see the stress that they had. And I don't know if it's just pressure. I just think it was the stress of COVID and being isolated and being in Tokyo and your family's back home, not having that support with you there in the arena there with you to to bounce off to get a hug to get encouragement right. not having anything right. there uh made this whole situation exaggerated and worse right uh that's that's for sure but i do notice that it seemed to bother america's best athletes more, more than so. it did yeah. some of the others and that's what it i didn't look. bother the australians yeah. it certainly doesn't bother the russians or the chinese not nearly as obvious as it had seemed to bother the U.S. athletes. Yes, and I believe that. And again, I'm not pick, it's, it's, it's not so bone balance, and I believe what she had to do, especially in her case, the, the symptoms that she got, she should protect herself. Yeah. You know, I believe if that's what she was dealing with, and that's, you know, 100% back her on top of that. But what I'm basically trying to say with what's happened to her, with what's happened to uh, Osaka, Kyrie Irving, any number of athletes out there, or, or, or even... Michael Phelps. Yeah, all of those, you know what? It's just, it's... People, it's going to continue. Yeah. As long as we feed this social media, this type of following of these athletes, yeah. making expectations. And there's a flip side to that too. I mean, they're going to get the endorsements. They're going to get the money for it and whatnot. I mean, it comes with the territory. But let's just not, let's not prejudge on top of this. I mean, this is something that we're going to, going to have to get used to because I don't, I, I believe the from a mental aspect, unless we start, making that part of the program to uh, account for these types of uh, illnesses in the future or if you know some psychiatrists can figure it out later on it's gonna continue to happen and it might even be more frequent than not yeah. so, so. And, and so i i mean i always hope and i advocate for this my wife is an educator as well i just hope that these kids if you're listening or if you have kids that are listening please don't let them be feel as if they are only as much or worth only as much as what people say about them on social media or people like about them. This is the TikTok generation yep. where everybody's seeking videos, trying to make videos to see how many people that they can like, how many followers that they can get. Everybody thinks that that's what they want to pursue. Um, and maybe you hit it big every once in a while and you can get to a point where you're, you know, you have a, a large following and you can create a financial, you know, stream for that. But for every one person that hits it big on TikTok and others, 
there are thousands more that fall short and start to doubt themselves, feel bad about themselves, mm -hmm. question themselves. And all of these things on teenagers especially uh, starts to impact their, their impact their mental capacity and starts to make them play games with themselves and they lose their confidence uh, and it takes them down a slippery road. So don't ever believe in yourself, believe in what you're able to do. Don't let anyone or any follower or any comments that other people make about you dictate your self-worth. I support Simone Biles in this particular case. Mm -hmm. She needs to protect herself. She can literally get paralyzed and or die doing what she does right. as high up as she gets. Right. If she has a mental issue that will cause her to, to get hurt, it's not worth it. She's already the GOAT. She's already won a ton of things. So I don't question that, but I think you're right. As an example, she is an obvious example of a much bigger problem, that a societal problem yeah. that hopefully we can get under control so that our kids can grow up in a way that they're confident in themselves and not we're doubting and, and questioning and leading down the road of mental illness. Yeah, unfortunately, I think if, if anything, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think, uh, you know, with with with... This is the other country. I mean, we're lucky. I mean, if you're an American, I mean, we, we've already, we've already uh, have uh, the freedom of speech uh, written into our, 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 our laws. And it's not like that in a lot of other countries. Not like that at all. I mean, you can go to jail for some of the stuff that we do over here that we take for granted, to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, oppression is real in other countries. And this is probably a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of reasons why other people out there actually express themselves uh, using these uh, social media platforms. I hate to have drawn it out this long, but I believe in your points. Very well said. But yeah, that's basically that was my thought of the week. No, I mean, I'm, I'm glad when you told me that that was going to be your closing thought. I, I thought that was perfect because I wanted to have a discussion about that because I think it's so relevant and I think it's so important. We coached young ladies right. for, for many, many years. And, and I think we see firsthand some of our girls and the impact that they have, yes. the ups and downs that they go through. You have three daughters. I have two daughters. We see, you know, these things that, they, that they're dealing with and that they see. So I think it's a super relevant topic. And, and as much as we want to talk about sports and, and, and we do and we want to have fun, we also understand that if we have the ability to try and change one life or make things better or to to put something in somebody's head so that they can go down a better path. I think that's all what we're for as well. So great, great topic, Ernie. Okay. And there was no gun violence or no death involved <laughs> in this. Uh, so gang, that ends the show. I mean, I was excited about this week's show because you had NBA draft, you had trades. Russell Westbrook is now a Laker. The NBA trading deadline was psychotic. It was unbelievable. And my Dodgers get Max Serger and Trey Turner. So it's looking very likely that we'll be doing Another parade in LA Could be. this Riddle year for Riddle the World Series, if they're healthy, <laughs> and then the Tokyo Olympics. I mean, week one is in the books. U.S. team has the most medals right now, led by the men's swimmers. The Jamaican women dominate the 100 meters today, taking one, two, and three. We now enter a full week of track and field, which mm -hmm. is always exciting. And then the medal rounds in soccer, the U.S. women's team in the semifinals now. Yep, Canada. Uh, and then basketball, you know, with the U.S. men's team and the U.S. women's team entering medal play this week as well. Mm -hmm. Can both of them win gold? That's going to be something that I'm going to be riveted to. Me too. Along with the U.S. women's soccer team this week. Right, 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 right. Now, uh, now I know that you're going to be taking a little break. Yeah, we're taking kids to college over the next couple of weeks, so we're not going to have a show for for a week or so, for a couple of weeks, and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks 
uh, with our next episode. So until then, check us out on social media. We'll always have access to social media. We'll be more than happy to dialogue with you guys uh, over the next couple of weeks. Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook. Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. And until we hear from you again, share this on Facebook. Tell everybody about the Sports Rivals Podcast. We're determined to be the fastest growing sports podcast in the United States. We can't do that without you. And until next time, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Thank you.